I decided one of the things I wanted to do this morning was to just be a little bit honest, a little transparent. Uh, like for me, this was a hard week. Anybody else have just a hard week? Like I had a difficult week. I've got these issues that I'm kind of working through, some, some things that have been present that I'm like, Lord, would you work through this with me? I'm dealing with that. And then on top of that, I wasn't a great leader this week. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes my wife and I, sometimes we have some conversations, right? We have conversations. And uh, we had this conversation, and uh, one of my strengths as a leader is I think God's given me the ability to be a passionate leader. You know, I'm, I'm an emotional leader. But the downside of that is sometimes when I get frustrated, sometimes that passion comes into those conversations, So I had this conversation with my wife, and I got frustrated, and I had a little, I wasn't gracious to her, and I was wrong, and I knew it, and I made a mess, and I wasn't nice, and I wasn't wasn't leading well, I wasn't intentional, and then on top of that, I'm having another conversation with with someone else, and we're having these, these, these issues, and I got frustrated again, and I had another little bit of an emotional outburst. In both these situations, I was completely wrong. In both these situations, I wasn't being a good husband. I wasn't being a good friend. I wasn't being a good leader. And I had to go back and apologize and say, listen, I was wrong. I shouldn't have said this. I shouldn't have responded this way. I shouldn't have done that. I am sorry. That is not acceptable for me to do. I was embarrassed because of how I responded. Now, I'm not saying this so you feel sorry for me. I'm saying this because I want to acknowledge, like, I'm not all God has called me to be yet. I haven't arrived there. I haven't arrived at that spot where where I'm perfect. And I don't know if any of you have any, like, correlation with that, where you feel that in yourself. Like, well, yeah, I know I'm supposed to be better, but I still have maybe some of these things that I still struggle through, I'm still wrestling with. You know, I think the Apostle Paul said he had a thorn in the flesh that he could not get rid of. Maybe some of you would say, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, Pastor. I don't mean to go dark here, but there's times when I go through situations like this week, and my thought process goes, okay, how are you going to be remembered? When your days on this earth are fulfilled, Kevin, how are you going to be remembered? Now, I hope, I hope I'd be remembered as being a a, a good husband. I hope that I'd be remembered as being a a, a loving father. I hope that I'd be remembered as being a charming, uh, handsome, uh, funny, uh, wise pastor. I hope that I'd be remembered as the guy who planted Restoration Church and loved the church well. But if I'm going to be honest, I also could be remembered as the guy who sometimes couldn't control his emotions. I could be remembered as the guy who ate too many no-bake cookies. The guy who sometimes was a little bit too selfish. You think about maybe the epitaph on your, on your grave when you die. What are you going to be remembered for? And some of you, some of us, if we're going to be honest in this room, we might be remembered as the person who worried a little too much. The person who didn't trust God enough. The person who struggled with sin and wasn't willing to overcome it. The person who had an anger problem. The person, we can all be remembered for so many of these different things. 
And I wrestle with that question is, what am I going to be remembered for? Because I want to be remembered for something good. I want to be remembered as something positive. And the question is, how do we get there? How do we get to the point that, that even though we've got some of these issues, we're remembered for good? Fortunately, there's a couple characters in the Bible. A guy by the name of Saul and a guy by the name of David. And these guys had a lot of similarities. A lot of similarities. Both of these guys did some good things. Both of these guys were kings over Israel. And both these guys made some major mistakes. Yet, Saul is remembered as being a failure. And David, David is remembered as something good. And the question is, what's the difference between these two? You've got Saul and David who are very similar, yet David's remembered in a positive light. What's that difference? What makes him different? Because I want to be like David, not perfect. Because if you're looking for a perfect pastor, you're in the wrong church. I don't want to, rem- I want to be like David where I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm remembered for good. And I don't know about you, but I think this is exactly the message I need to hear this morning. Ever since Easter, we've been in a series that we're calling The Story. Well, what we're trying to do is we're trying to grasp the the big story of the Bible. Because the Bible has a bunch of stories, a bunch of characters, a bunch of commands, a bunch of all these things. And if we understand every one of these things points to a bigger story in Jesus— This is what we've done from the very beginning. We started in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, where God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good, and it was wonderful, and it was awesome. And then in Genesis 3, we saw how sin entered the world and ruined that perfect creation. But in the middle of of, of sin entering the world, God still gave a promise of hope, that there would be a Savior who would come who would make all things right. Then we saw the next couple chapters of Genesis where man just keeps getting more and more sinful. God brings the flood to try and get rid of the sin issue, and it doesn't solve. Then we saw the Tower of Babel, where mankind is trying to show how great we are and what we can accomplish apart from God. And God's like, man, this isn't what we're intended. And these stories in Genesis are meant to show us our need for our Savior, to show us that we are a sinful people. And then we get to to shift it in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God made a promise to a guy by the name of Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Your ancestors are going to become a great nation, and out of your ancestors, I will bless all the families of the world. I love that promise that God made to Abraham. And honestly, the rest of the Old Testament really centers around the fulfillment of those promises. The way that played out. We saw, next we saw in the book of Exodus, we saw the Passover, where God used Moses to lead the Israelites out of the promised land, out of captivity, into the promised land, where they could become a nation. This is where they become a nation. They can celebrate the fact that we're, we're a nation. We saw, we saw in Exodus, where Moses gave the people the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, they weren't meant to tell people, hey, here's how you earn God's favor. Here's how you can, can be good enough. They were meant to show us, none of us can keep those Ten Commandments perfectly. It shows us our need for a Savior. And then as, as Jake stepped in a couple weeks ago, he led us into the book of Joshua, where Josh, Moses dies and Joshua takes over as, the key, as a leader over the people. And Joshua leads the people into the promised land and they become this nation. And that, after Joshua died, it led to the book of Judges. 
And the cycle of judges is probably a story that how many of us, if we're being honest, are familiar with? Where the people, they take their eyes off God and they start doing what seems right to themselves. Any of us, any, any of us ever do that? We take our eyes off God. Hey, this makes sense to me. I'm going to live life like this. And then they create a mess. And they begin to suffer. And they think, man, this isn't working anymore. And so they cried out to God and God would give them a judge. and They would be delivered. And they get delivered. And what's going to happen next? And they're going to repeat the cycle again. They take their eyes off God and get back into another mess and another amount of suffering. How many of us, like that describes our faith? Like, I'm in trouble. I'm going to go to church. God, I need you. God gets me through it. And then I go back and go back to do my own thing until I'm in trouble again and I need God. Then I come back to church. I come back to God. I mean, this is a story of the judges. And the people of God, at the end of this, they're like, this is not working This isn't working. This cycle is ridiculous. And rather than looking to God to solve that cycle, the people, they start looking around to the other nations. Like, well, look at all these other nations. They don't seem to suffer like we do. They don't seem to have this cycle. What makes those nations different than us? They're like, that's what it is. They have a king. They have a king. We need a king. And God's like, no, I'm your king. I'm your king. And the people are like, yeah, but we want a real king of flesh and blood. We want a king like all the other nations. And so God's like, all right, you can have it. You can have it. We saw last week, Jake took us to where the people chose Saul to be the king. And from a worldly perspective, it's a great option. He was a charismatic leader. He was, he was experienced. He was a warrior. He'd been in the middle. Like, he had all this stuff. He was tall, dark, and handsome. I remember my mom, when she was voting for a president, she said, I voted for this president because he was handsome. Like, who doesn't want a tall, dark, and handsome man to be king over us? And Saul, as king, he started out pretty good. He started doing some good things. But like most kings, the power began to corrupt his heart. He became proud. He became self-willed. He used his position and his authority as king to serve himself rather than to serve the people and to serve God. And here's what happens. Here's the beginning of our message today. Because Saul used that position to serve himself, it says in, in, in 1 Samuel 13, God says to Saul, your kingdom will not continue. For the Lord has sought a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be king over the people because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded for you. I want to be clear. God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for a man after his own heart. And that wasn't Saul. Saul didn't have a heart that that was, was pursuing after God's heart. He had a heart that pursued himself. Pursued what was best for him. And as a result, the kingdom is taken away from Saul. And Saul, how do we remember Saul? We remember Saul as a failure. Remember him because of his pride. Remember him because of his disobedience. Because God was looking for something different. What was he looking for? Was he looking for perfection? No, he was looking for a person whose heart would seek after him. And he finds that in 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16, our text today, God sends the prophet Samuel to a town of Bethlehem, to to this guy Jesse's house. And he says, I want you to go here because I have chosen one of his sons to be king. 
And it starts out in verse 6. When Samuel gets to the house, it says, Samuel looked at Eliab, the oldest, and said, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. And again, from a worldly standpoint, Eliab, this is the oldest of Jesse's sons. It makes, he looked like a king. This guy was the, the homecoming king. This guy was the, the star quarterback of the, of the high school football team. This is a guy that ever, I mean, he was tall, dark, and handsome. Can we throw that out? He was, from a, he was like Saul from a worldly perspective. This is, this is the king. And Solomon is ready. This is him. But God says, hold on a second. Pause. And God gives this little bit of, of wisdom that is so important for us to see. He says in, in verse 7, 1 Samuel 16, 7, The Lord said to Samuel, Look not on his appearance and his high stature, because I have rejected him. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse brings out the rest of his sons. There are seven of them. He brings all seven out and presents them to to Samuel. And the Lord said to Samuel, the Lord has not chosen any of these. In fact, Samuel asks, are these all your sons? Do you have any other sons? And Jesse responds and says, well, there remains the youngest, but behold, he is out keeping the sheep. Now, this term youngest it really does go beyond just age, this, this word youngest. It really implies uh, he was wimpy, he was skinny, he was the runt of the litter. If you can picture that, the runt of the litter, right? And, his, and he says, he's not here because he's out keeping the sheep. Now, keeping the sheep, this was like the lowest job in Israel. This is maybe the equivalent of like uh, scrubbing toilets, or, or in our family, we make the youngest go pick up the dog droppings in the yard. Like, like this was the job you give. This was what the, the evil godmother would have made Cinderella do. Like, this is, this is the lowest of the lowest jobs. And verse 12 says that Jesse brought him in. And he was ruddy and he had beautiful eyes. This term ruddy, again, there, there's meaning behind these words. Some say that ruddy means that he was a redhead. He was redheaded and he was freckled. Others say that word ruddy means he was disheveled and he smelled like sheep. I think it means both of those things. So you can picture this this disheveled little boy. And he brings him in. And it says in verse 12, The Lord said to Samuel, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil, and he anointed David king in the midst of his brothers. So here's what we got. We got two men, Saul and David. Two kings, mind you. Saul is remembered for his failures. But as we understand Scripture, David is going to be honored and blessed by God. David has all sorts of things that God does in him and through him. David is remembered as the greatest king in Israel. And I look at these two and I'm like, what's the difference between them? What's going on here? Again, neither one of these men is perfect. We know Saul's failures. It led to him having the kingdom removed from him. But sometimes we look at, we look at characters like David. We look at these, these people that God uses in special ways, and we think, well, of course God blessed him and worked in his life because he's so perfect. 
He's righteous. He's holy. He, he doesn't make messes. He doesn't have emotional outbursts. He is, he, he, he's great. But that's not the case with David. Scripture is clear in pointing out some of David's major failures. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had uh, uh, Bathsheba's husband Uriah killed. He was uh, dysfunctional as a father. Again, you see these faults, these major issues. See, David, when he died, his epitaph, his, his, his headstone could have read, David the adulterer. It could have said, David the, the murderer. It could have said, David the dysfunctional father. But do you know what David's epitaph is? You know how David is remembered? The Apostle Paul actually gives it to us in Acts chapter 13. Acts 13, 22, God says, I have found David, the son of Jesse. And here, here's what it says about him. A man after my own heart who carries out, the, who carries out my will. Do you know how much hope that gives a guy like me? Do you know how encouraging that is to me when I think about the messes I made this week? When I think about how I still want to see God do stuff in me? Because you know what that tells me? That tells me that your failures do not have to be the one-liner that describes your life. How, how good is that? Anybody can say amen to that? Your failures do not have to be the one-liner that describe your life. That's good. David wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect, but he was repentant. When he was confronted with sin, he repented and made it right. See, a, perfect, a person after God's heart is not a perfect person. In fact, Chuck Swindle said this. He said, when God, when God scans the earth looking for potential leaders, he's not searching for angels in the flesh. Certainly, he's not looking for perfect people because there are none. No, God is searching for people like you and me, people made up of flesh that share this one quality with David. You know who that quality is? Men and women and teenagers and children and people who are after the heart of God. That is simply what it means. Let me ask this. What do you think it means to be a person after God's heart? If that's what we're talking about today, is that we would be a people that are after the heart of God, what does it mean to be a person after God's heart? Very simply, this is what it means. It's simply that we become someone whose heart and life pursues harmony with the heart of God. That what makes God sad is the things that make us sad. What's important to him is important to us. When he says do this, when he says go there, when he says stop doing this, when he says this is important to me, we say, all right, God, I'm going to allow those things to be important to you because I want your heart. I want to I be obedient to what you have for me. This is what it means. It's simply our heart and our life are pursuing harmony with his heart. And again, you look at David's life. David wasn't perfect. Yet when we... Look at his story. The defining characteristic on every page of his life is he sought harmony with the heart of God. I mean, think about this. If we were to look at a survey of David's life, we see his heart for the heart of God in his faith. You see it. 
I mean, here's what happened when, when, when the battle with Goliath. Remember, Goliath would stand before the people of God. And he'd say, I defy the, the people. I defy God himself. Bring it on. I'm greater than that. And remember, Saul and all the soldiers, they're cowering in fear. And what does David do? David's response, he comes in and says, who is this jerk that's defying God? I don't care how many people he's killed. I don't care how big and strong he is. He's got a faith. I'm going to stand up for my God. There's no way he's going to do this. You see his heart for God in his faith. You see his heart for God in his trust. If you know the story, Saul finds out that God has chosen David to be the next king, and Saul becomes paranoid. Saul becomes crazy. And he, he, he spends upwards of a decade chasing Saul around the country, trying to kill him, chasing him around. If I can get my hands on you, I'm going to kill you, David. David's got to be on the run. During that time, twice, David had the chance to kill Saul, to solve the situation. But instead, what did David do? David trusted God. He trusted that God was going to make things right. He trusted that God was in control, so he wasn't going to take matters into his own hands and kill Saul. Now, you see, even in, that, even in his trust, he trusted God that shows him, that shows us a heart that is pursuing the heart of God. You see, you see, you see David's desire to be in harmony with God through his love. Again, you think about David being on the, on the run from Saul from all of those years, from Saul's hatred and paranoia. Yet David showed this unconditional love. He's not going to harm the king. He's not even going to speak ill about the king because there's this unconditional love. It makes me think of, of, of maybe when Jesus says something about, uh, about us having hatred for our enemies, right? And us seeking vengeance again. No, no, actually, Maybe Jesus told us to do exactly what David did, was to love our enemies. Ooh, wow, that's pretty good to see the heart of David. You see David in his heart for God and his humility. After David was a, became crowned king, David had conquered the enemies, and he led Israel to a time of, of peace and prosperity. Things are going really good. And the prophet Nathan comes up to him and says, hey, 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 David, here's what God says. God says he's going to extend your dynasty forever where someone of your ancestors will always be on the throne. And you know what David's response was? His response wasn't because, of course, God's going to do that because I'm awesome. Of course, God's going to do that because I'm such a good king. No, David's response is, who am I that God has brought me this far? Again, you see a heart for God in this humility. You see a heart for God in his repentance. When that same prophet Nathan, when he confronts David about his sin, David doesn't say, well, you don't understand the pressure I'm under. Well, it's Bathsheba's fault. She should have been bathing uh, in the, the buff. He, he didn't say, well, you don't understand. It's not my fault. I'm justified. I'm king. No, what does David do? Psalm 51 says, he repents. There's his confession. God, I was wrong. God, I'm sorry. You see how this is all pointing us to this is what it looks like to have a heart for God? You see it in David's worship. Over 70 of our Psalms in our Bible 
are ascribed to, to, to David. You see David worshiping God. You see David praying, praising God. You see David lamenting. Some of us, we go through some hard stuff and we're like, it's God's fault. But David takes that struggle, that, that hurt, that fear, that worry, that burden, and he presents it to God to say, God, I don't understand this. God, what's going on here? Why, God? Not to blame God, but to say, God, I'm struggling. I just, I need to present this to you. I need to give this to you. You see David in his worship through, through uh, celebrating before the Lord. Again, it's seeing David's heart for God through all of these things. And again, I want us to see the difference between Saul and David because there's so similarities. There, there, there's similarities between these men as in general. Both of them had successes. Both of them had failures. Yet God blessed and honored David and not Saul. David is remembered as God's, or as Israel's greatest king. David is remembered as a man after God's own heart. Not because David was better than Saul. Simply because David's life and heart pursued the heart of God. In fact, as I think about where I'm at this week, and maybe where you are in your life, I think this is the, the summary of what this message is all about. That God blesses and honors those whose hearts are aligned to his. God blesses and honors those who aren't perfect. He blesses and honors those who make mistakes. He blesses and honors those simply whose hearts are aligned to his heart. And again, for me today, I, I want to be like David. I want to I be remembered like David and not Saul. I want to be remembered for, for, for something good. And the question is how? How do I become a person after God's heart? Because I'll tell you, like I, I, I hear this message, I'm like, I totally get this. Like God blesses and honors, we need to have a heart for God, but how do I get a heart like that? Because my week this week, I'm like, is it even possible? God, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with myself. Is it even possible, God, for me to have a, a heart for you? And here's the good news. I don't think David was born with a heart for God. No, I think he grew into that. In fact, when we look in Scripture, I think most of our heroes in Scripture are people who weren't born naturally with a heart for God. They're people that God grew their heart into a heart for him. And so what I want to do this morning is as we kind of bring this to a close is, is I want to look at the story that David is most known for. What's David most known for? David and Goliath, right? He defeats Goliath. I want to look at the story of David and Goliath and see a few things that show us how he grew into a person after God's heart. Because I think those things become application points for us. That as we sit here and say, God, how could I be remembered like David? How could I be remembered for the good instead of the bad? These are the application points to say, here's how we grow into a man or woman, a person after God's heart. Number one, like David, we've got to take our confidence and our strength from the Holy Spirit. 
Because let's just be honest, most of us, we put a lot of stock in our own wisdom, our own knowledge, our experience, our wealth, our power, our age, our all these things. This is why I'm good, because I've been a Christian for 50 years, and because I've been in church, and I've, I've been, been a pastor, I've been an elder, I've been all these things, and so that brings me value, and that's where I take my confidence from. But look what, look what it says right after Samuel anointed David as king. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. It says, From that day, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. See, his confidence and his strength and his wisdom, it didn't come from his own understanding. It didn't come from him saying, well, I just think I see things white, right, and I'm going to do things the way I see them. No, they came from the Holy Spirit. And you contrast that with Saul. You contrast that with the cycle of the judges. What did the people do? Did what seemed right according to their own eyes, according to their own strength, their wisdom, their knowledge, their influence, their power, their wealth, all these different things. You know, when I think about my life, <laughs> think about all the settings I've been in. I don't think I've ever been the smartest person in the room. I don't think I've ever been the most successful. I don't think I'm the best pastor. But in 10 years of leading Restoration Church, 18 years serving in full-time ministry, I think about when I've seen God do some big, powerful things. None of that came because of me. None of that came because I am awesome and because I have so much wisdom and because I'm a good leader. I'm not. All those things came because the Holy Spirit started doing some work in my life and through me. None of that came because of my wisdom and my knowledge. I know today I'm not the one with the answers. And I know that because of how many times I've tried to have the answer and I've made a mess of things. So let me ask you this morning. Where is it in your life that you are depending on yourself? On your knowledge? On your wisdom? On your understanding? What is stopping you from surrendering? What is stopping you from, from trusting the Holy Spirit to work in your life and to guide you? I just... Can you imagine what God could do if we stopped relying on ourselves and started relying on him? Could you imagine all that we would see God do, how we would see him move? We would see the power of God in ways we've never imagined because now we're starting to actually trust him and rely on him instead of relying on us and our wisdom and, and what we think makes sense. Now, if we're going to become people after God's heart, We've got to depend on the Holy Spirit and not us. Second thing, if we're going to become people after God's heart, we've got to learn, like David, to be faithful in the small things. See, I think really where this starts is it starts when nobody is looking. In the small and insignificant things that nobody else ever sees. In fact, in that story, David's going off to fight Goliath. 
And he goes up to Saul and he says, Saul, I'll fight Goliath. And Saul's like, you're a runt. You're a little kid. Like, you have no experience. Why should I let you fight Goliath? And this is, what, this is what David's response was. 1 Samuel 17, verses 34 and 35. Well, I used to keep sheep for my father. And when a lion and a bear, when they took a lamb from the flock, I went after them and I struck them down and I saved the predator. And then he said, if the predator turned on me, check this out, it says, I caught the bear by its beard. Aren't you glad we don't have beer, bears with beards today? Could you imagine how scary that would be? He said, I caught the bear by its beard, and I struck and killed it. See, here's David doing the job that nobody else wanted, the shepherd, the lowly job, taking care of the sheep. And when no one's looking, what is he doing? He's being faithful in the little things. He said, I'm going to go, and I'm going to take care of this. It's at risk to myself, but I'm going to go all after this because this is what I've been asked to do. What are the little things in your life? Little things that we think are not a big deal, like muttering under our breath when somebody frustrates us. Little things that may be catching a lustful look when nobody notices, because nobody else is going to know. Maybe exaggerating our skills or exaggerating how, how, how our accomplishments. Maybe it's being lax in the details in our taxes or in our timesheets. Maybe, it, maybe it's, it's children doing a, a, a crappy job on something because your parents are forcing you to do it and you don't really want to do it in the first place. Now listen, if we're going to grow into people after God's heart, we've got to start being faithful in those little things. Third thing, if we're going to grow into people after God's heart, we've got to continually choose faith like David did. I mean, I think about this. David and Goliath, everybody's afraid of Goliath. Goliath has been going up for weeks to say, hey, one of you, come on, take me on. And everybody's afraid of him. And here's David. 1 Samuel 17, verse 37. It says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear will deliver me from the Philistine. See, when we tell the story of David and Goliath, we always point to David and be like, be like David. He's awesome. He's brave. Be like David and conquer your Goliaths, and you can be so awesome. Here's the thing. The story's not about David. It's about God. God is the conqueror. God is the deliverer. And as David is facing Goliath, he's facing that fear. He's choosing to have faith in God. He's choosing to say, hey, I might see this scary thing in front of me. But I'm going to choose to believe that God is greater. I'm going to choose to believe that God is with me, that God is present. Listen, faith is a choice. It's not automatic. And for some of us, faith is something that we have to decide to choose every day. And some of us, it's going to be moment by moment. Man, I'm struggling right now. i got to choose faith right now and right now and continue to choose faith. In fact, there are some of us that I think we will never see God defeat our Goliaths because we're too concerned with our fear. Where is fear motivating you? What is fear or uncertainty or your desire for comfort keeping you from being obedient to what God is asking you to do? 
Where is it that you need to choose faith and belief and to trust? Last thing. If we're going to grow into people after God's heart, we've got to be obedient to the will of God. In fact, this might be the key to having a a heart for God. Again, this was God's judgment on Samuel. 1 Samuel 15, it says, I regret that I made Saul king. Excuse me, this is uh, God's judgment on Saul. He says, I regret that I made Saul king because he has turned away from me and he has not carried out my instruction. What was God's problem with Saul? Disobedience. He wasn't obedient to what God was asking him to do. And contrast that now. Look what God says about David. Acts 13, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will carry out my will. David was willing to do whatever God asked him to do. You want me to go fight Goliath? I'm in. You want me to love my enemy? Okay. You, you confront me with sin? I'm not giving excuses. I'm not going to blame somebody else. You confront me? You want me to repent? I'm going to repent. God, I was wrong. Becoming a person after God's heart means we've got to obey. So where is it that you're not obeying? Where is it that you're dragging your feet? Where is it that you're making excuses for not doing what God is asking you to do? Again, I don't know about you, but for me, I want to be remembered like David. I want God's blessing and honor in my life. I want to be remembered as, as, as a man after God's heart. I want to be remembered as a man who depended on the Holy Spirit rather than myself. I want to be remembered as a man who is faithful in those little things that no one else ever saw. I want to be remembered as somebody whose faith was stronger than his fear. I want to remember as somebody who was obedient to what God asked him to do. And here's the good news this morning. This is possible. You see, the people of God, they had a great king over them. David was a good king. David was a king over those, the nation of Israel, and he brought them peace and prosperity. <laughs> but not long after David, there became other kings who weren't as faithful to God, who led the people away from God into sin. But the good news is, is many years after David died, there was another king who also came from Bethlehem. And like David, this king wasn't a likely candidate. He wasn't great. He wasn't powerful. He wasn't wealthy. In fact, this king was born to an unwed teenage mother in a stable. And like David, who offered to be a representative of the people to fight Goliath, this king will go as our representative to live the life that we couldn't live, to fight our enemy of sin and Satan and the curse of death and hell while we stood on the sideline doing nothing. You see, our real Goliath is our alienation from God. It's our sin that separates us from him. But our king, King Jesus, he defeated that Goliath. He went to the cross 
and rose from the grave conquering sin and Satan and the curse of death and hell. While we, as the people of God, simply have this opportunity to share in his victory by putting our faith in him and believing in him and what he has done for us.